Well, hallelujah. Good to be in the house of the Lord. You may be seated, every one of you. We want to welcome you today or tonight. Wow. We are just honored and really excited about this uh, series that we are starting tonight. And we want to welcome all of you, those on YouTube or Facebook, online, we welcome you as well. And we are starting a brand new series. I don't know how long it's going to take, but certainly a few months, Lord willing, that we've entitled Entering the Unknown. Entering the Unknown. You know, when you look around today in the world in which we live in, this world is, how unpredictable is this world? Precarious, to say the least. We don't know from one day to the next. And there's many reasons why, and one of the reasons that we're living in an uncertain world is that there seems to be no more absolutes today. Everything seems to be relative. Everybody's got an opinion about something. And what's happening is that as God's word has become more diluted, I would say day by day, then we see that absolutes no longer exist. What I believe is what matters. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what, 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 what the Word of God is saying. And we see all kinds of ideas cropping up today. Everything is changing. Everything is changing in our schools. To think, I mean, it started back when they got rid of the Bible in our schools. And it just seemed like everything just began to sink from that day on. We don't know what's going on with our governments. All the lies and deception that's taking place in our schools, at our workplace, even in our homes. We see so much uncertainty in this world today. Almost in every angle, everywhere you look, everywhere you see, you see nothing but disorder, disruption, and there seems to be very little conviction in the world today. We no longer have the conviction like we used to have. And can I say that we no longer have the conviction in the church? And that's a huge problem. My text tonight is found in Joshua, and we're going to navigate through the entire book, Lord willing. We begin with chapter 1 tonight, verse number 1. And if you brought your Bibles, I'm going to ask you now, brothers and sisters, right from the beginning... I don't want you to bring your phones. I want you to bring your Bibles. This is Bible study. And uh, I might be old-fashioned. I don't know. But one of the signs of the times are too many phones in church. Where are our Bibles? Bring your Bible to church, please. Bring a pen, paper, a pencil. We're going to take notes. I want to encourage you to start taking some notes. We're going to be studying. We're going to be dissecting the Word of God. And we need to uh, prepare ourselves for that. And so we are in Joshua chapter 1. So let's begin. Verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, Thou 
Go thou all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. For every place that the sole of thy foot shall tread upon, I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Please underscore that. From the wilderness and, and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea towards going down to the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance of the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and be very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from the right hand nor or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whatsoever thou goest. For this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and the command of the people, saying, Prepare you victuals or food, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go and to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. We'll stop there for now. We will continue throughout the chapter. And so here we see, brothers and sisters, this was a time of transition, a time where God is going to do something new, something fresh, something that was not done before. And in a time of transition, there's always uncertainty. There's always that element of the unknown, which is my title, my theme title throughout this series, Navigating Through the Unknown. Transition can be a very stressful time, very difficult time, and it was difficult because the great leader, Moses, is now dead. That was a serious concern for the people of Israel. And it's difficult to fully understand what the death of Moses meant to the people of Israel. He was the great leader for so many years. He led them out of Egypt, out of bondage. A man who spoke to God face to face. This man who brought the Ten Commandments, the law. This man who, who the Lord did so many miracles through as he lifted up his, his rod or his staff and, and oceans were split. Miracles were performed. Waters came out of the rock. Waters that were bitter became sweet. Miracle after miracle they saw through the life of Moses. Arguably the greatest man in all of Jewish history. 
had more revelation than most men will ever have in their entire lives, to say the least. He saw so many things, did so many things, but to see God face to face, it's hard to imagine. This man was very unique, and now he's dead, and he speaks to Joshua, and he tells Joshua, you now are going to take the people of Israel, the people that Moses took, and you're going to lead them into the promised land. In other words, Joshua, you are going to replace Moses. Hmm. Now I want you to think about how daunting that must have been. The responsibility, the insecurity. Now Joshua was not an insecure man. We don't see that. But I know that I would feel extremely insecure if I was told something even remotely close to that. Imagine how Joshua felt that he was now going to fill Moses' shoes, that he was going to do the task that Moses was supposed to do, but was not able to enter into the promised land. And God now chose Joshua to continue the task. How incredible was that? How would you feel if God spoke to you and gave you this command? The unknown was certainly an issue for Joshua. How? Where? How is this possible? What am I going to do? How can I possibly fill the shoes of Moses? Can anybody fill these shoes? And so certainly Joshua was in a personal predicament. And how was he going to overcome? Well, God gives him a word of encouragement and he says to him, Joshua, I know this is very difficult for you, as it would be for anybody, but I want you to know this. And this is very important, my brothers and my sisters, because what God gave to Joshua applies to you and me. He says to Joshua, Joshua, I know this is going to be difficult, but I want you to understand that as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Now this, okay, thank you Lord. You have to understand, Moses... When he died, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that the people of Israel mourned for 30 days. I mean, they, he needed some encouragement here. As anyone would. And God gives him this encouragement. In fact, he needed the encouragement because he was told to go into the promised land and we know he was a spy before. We know that this land was filled with giants. I think it's Joshua chapter 17 tells us that, that the, Amalek the Amalekites and even the, the part of the Canaanites, they had the latest technology. They had chariots made out of iron, which was a new technology for that day. They had the greatest weaponry. They had the strongest nations, the strongest army. What did Israel have? They had nothing. So yes... He needed encouragement on so many different levels. But the truth is, my friends, that anybody who embarks in any ministry is going to need encouragement because 
There's a battle. And no matter what ministry you are involved in, you can be sure there will be some kind of battle. There will always be an Amalekite or a Jebusite or a Hittite that will be out to destroy your ministry. You can be sure of that. Because we don't fight against flesh and blood. And so Joshua needed all kinds of encouragement just to get going. And so God gives certain principles that I want to share with you that begin with C and P. Those that know me know I like to give alphabets every so often as principles so we don't forget the first principle. I hope you, write, hope you brought your pen and paper with you. The first principle I want to share with you, remember this is under God giving encouragement to Joshua. He gives him a word, several words of encouragement and several principles that Joshua had to ingest as he is about to go into the promised land. And the first thing I want to share with you, number one, is God caused Joshua to remember the past. God caused Joshua to remember the past. Caused the past. Now why would God do that? I thought, Pastor Dino, we're not supposed to be reflecting on the past too much. I thought we have, to, we have to go on. We have to press on beyond our past, forgetting those things that are behind us. Well, yes, certainly. There are times you have to forget the past, move on from the past. By all means, we cannot live in the past. The past can hurt you. The past can hinder you. But there are times that you need to reflect the past so you can remember, so you can receive some encouragement. And what was, what was Joshua supposed to remember about the past? That God was with Moses. And that God, Joshua, is going to be with you. I want you to remember how I was with Moses. Remember how I was with Moses. Remember how I sustained Israel. Remember these things. Notice verses number 3 and 5. We see this in verse 3 and 5. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that I've given you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness unto Lebanon, into the great river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, everywhere. Verse 5, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of the as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So I want you to remember the past. As you are being propelled into the land and the future is before you, remember how I sustained you and how I sustained Moses. Now, as I said, the past can be a detriment or it can be something very important to remember. You must never be a prisoner of your past, but your past is meant to be a life lesson, not a life sentence. A life lesson. Not a life sentence. Your past is, is not your residence. It's a reference point. It's a reference point. You remember? Okay. That will help you in the future. It's a life lesson. Your experiences in the past are life lessons. But some of us have them as, as something worse. We have them as a life sentence. But that's not what the past is meant to do. 
Verse 5 says, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And Joshua says, great. Wonderful. Joshua receives this incredible encouragement that you and I, my brothers and my sisters, also need to remember. Do you not remember how God has sustained you in the past? Do you not remember how God has delivered you, has helped you? But it's so easy for us to forget God who has helped us in the past will help us in the future. How many times have we found ourselves surrounded by the Egyptians? How many times have you found yourself facing a Red Sea and there seems to be no place to go? And there you are facing this giant and how many times has God brought you through it? And so God says, Joshua, I want you to get ready for this incredible task. So I want you to remember how I worked and how I walked with you before. And I will do it again now. I will not change because I'm the immutable God. Immutable means unchanging. God doesn't change. Sometimes his methods change. God leads us by His Spirit. He might lead us here one day and over there. But God does not change in His character and in His nature. God is the immutable God. And if He says it, He'll do it. God's promises are not pie crusts that are fragile and break off. Just as you touch them, God's promises are thicker and stronger than any stone made out of granite. You can trust in God's word. God said, I, I will be with you, Joshua. I will sustain you. Remember, 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 remember. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is forgiven me. And forget not his benefit. We are constantly reminded not to forget the things of God. Even during the communion service, every time we do it, what does Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of... Remember what? What Jesus did for you on the cross. We must never forget. And I've often said, the beginning of backsliding is when you begin Joshua, don't ever forget, I made a promise. I'm going to be with you. Two weeks ago, I preached from Mark chapter 6. And I shared an insight that I basically just understood the last few years. Where Jesus fed the 5,000, were actually about 15,000 if you count the women and the children. And Jesus takes the bread, breaks it, blesses it, we know the story, and he fed the 5,000 men. But then he gives a strange command. He tells them, the disciples, to fill up all the leftovers, and it added up to 12 baskets. Now, why would God make an excess? Is this overcooking? No, it's not over. There was a reason why Jesus made more than enough. Now, Jesus could have easily made more when they needed it down the road. Some people say, well, they, well Pastor, they, they, he, he, made, he made more so that, so that he can, they can, the disciples can eat a little bit later. Right? Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like fish a little bit later, especially if there's no fridge you know, to keep it cool. It's going to smell a little bit. And bread gets stale very quickly, especially in the Middle East. Listen, listen, Jesus did not make extra fish and bread so they can eat it a little bit later. There was a life lesson they needed to learn. 
after Jesus performs this miracle, the Bible says that he ends up in the mountain and he begins to pray. Why? Jesus, who lived three years, a ministry for three years, most of his ministry was in a mountain praying all night in prayer, seeking the Father's direction and guidance. As Jesus is praying, Every time well, there was a battle about to take place, what's going on? He sends his disciples, and they're on the Sea of Galilee to cross over. And the Bible says, as the, as, as the disciples were on this boat, on the Sea of Galilee, which is really not a sea, it's, it's fresh water, it's like a lake, to be honest with you, all of a sudden this storm, this tempest begins to rise. Dark clouds begin to form. Winds howling. So we got a problem here. Jesus is on the mountain. Disciples are on the water. There's distance. What's going on here? Did Jesus not know? Well, of course he knew everything. Jesus, there's always purpose with God. God doesn't allow things to happen just for, nothing just happens. Remember these leftovers? Remember these? And so, and so the storm comes and Jesus is, is, is walking on water. They didn't recognize him. I don't want to get into this too much. I'm just, I'm, and so finally, finally, someone recognizes Jesus when he spoke didn't recognize his face. Sometimes we don't recognize God because he doesn't come to us the way we want him to come to us. But they recognized his voice. My sheep hear my voice. He comes in and he's upset them. He says, fear not, fool. Why are you so fearful? Fear not. Now, why would Jesus be, why would he say, fear not, why are you so fearful? Of course, you're in a storm. Why, why would Jesus be upset with his disciples? I'll tell you why. The 12 baskets that they had in the boat, what were they for? They were a life lesson. What kind of life lesson? Why are you scared? Why, why are you petrified with this storm? Why are you so fearful when the storms of life come? Do you not remember, there's that word, what I did for you when I fed the 5,000? I asked you to pick up the baskets so you wouldn't forget what I did for you. They're right in front of your face. Why do we get so fearful? Why do we not believe when the storms come? Do we not remember how God has sustained us in the past? Do you think he's just going to abandon you? Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you, so I don't want you to forget this. Number two, not only did God cause Joshua to remember the past, number two, God commissioned Joshua to perform a specific task. God commissioned Joshua to perform, the key word here in point number two is specific, a specific this is extremely important for all of us. God told Joshua to lead Israel and to cross the Jordan. The Bible tells us in the first few verses. To cross the Jordan. To cross the Jordan. And go into the promised land. This was specific. Verse number two. You know, there's something liberating when you know what God has called you to do. I've been pastoring for a long time, and I'll tell you something. I, a lot of, over the years, a lot of counseling appointments, a lot of people, they're just confused. They don't know what God wants them to do. Maybe there's people in this room. Maybe there's people online. 
they don't know what God wants them to do well I'll tell you something when you look at scripture you God's will can be nebulous can be vague but the Bible tells us that God can be very specific in what he's called you to do when you look at scriptures like like Ephesians chapter 5 17 and 18 18 says knowing therefore the will of the Lord that's Joshua uh, that's Ephesians chapter 5 Joshua verse number 17 therefore knowing the will of the Lord do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is do not be un so Paul is prefacing he says I'm, I'm going to tell you now what the will of the Lord is what is the will of God in this context keep going Josh verse 18 do not be drunk with wine where is in excess so we know it's God's will not to be drunk in excess but rather be filled with the Spirit of God God's will in this context is for us to be filled with the Spirit of God what about Ephesians 1 17 we see another element where God's will is very clear Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 the Bible tells us that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him God wants to reveal himself and give revelation God wants to reveal himself in you wants to show you who he is he wants to manifest John 14 27 says follow my commandments and I will manifest I will reveal myself to you God's will is revelation God wants to reveal himself show you Proverbs chapter 20 verse 27 speaks of this that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of your belly the spirit of man we are three parts body soul and spirit the spirit of man is the inner man is the candle candle speaks what it gives you insight you don't have electricity in those days you had a candle you can see you go into a room you light up the room you got a candle so you can see what's in you you're walking down the streets there's no light you got a candle you it gives illumination you're able to see where you're going the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord it gives you revelation you're able to see searching all the inward parts of your belly and and what I see this saying is that God's spirit is going deep within our own spirit to give us revelation so we can understand God will give you revelation will give you insight so you're able to see you go into a dark room you light a candle and you're able to see what's in the room that's what it says here in this particular verse of Proverbs God wants to reveal he wants to give illumination he wants you to 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 see clearly the Bible tells us in Romans 8 14 as many as are led by the Spirit of God these are the sons of God God wants to lead you wants to direct you wants to guide you so God can give you revelation in his will if you truly pray and seek God when I first got saved I wasn't sure what God was calling me to do I had all kinds of questions I was just came from California I knew nothing I wasn't raised in the church I didn't have a pastor to talk to me I didn't know what to do I just read the scriptures and one thing after another began to cry out to God to show me Lord what you want me to do and gradually he began to show me began to show me began to show me gave me a task there's something liberty I mean there's a freedom that you have when you know what God has called you to do 
And that's the problem. That's why some Christians are depressed and they're discouraged. They just don't know what to do. But when God gives you insight, gives you specific details, gives you illumination, gives you a revelation that the eyes of your understanding be open, Paul says Ephesians, that God would open my eyes that I might see what is it you want me to do, Lord? He gave Joshua a specific task. Let me ask you, what is your task? Let me ask you, what has God called you to do? Now you just think about that for a moment. Because if you don't know, maybe that's why you're you're not fulfilled in your life. Maybe that's why there's an emptiness deep down inside your heart. Because you just don't know what God wants you to do and you're basically just existing. You just don't know. You're like a leaf in the wind. You're being tossed by the elements of this world. There's no stability. You don't have direction Yes, my friends, there's something liberating when you know what God has called you to do. You know, the average Christian in North America spends more time planning events and things for Christmas and Thanksgiving, spend more time planning for their vacation than they do seeking God for direction. That's a sad commentary, my friend. Brothers and sisters, you must seek God's direction for your life. Stop looking direction from other people. You know, yeah, I'm a pastor and I've been doing it for a while. You know how many people, they look to me for direction? Don't look to me for direction. I can help you, but I, 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 I can look to God to give you direction. He's the one who leads. He's the one who guides. He's the one who illuminates. He's the one who shows. He's the one who reveals. He says, I'll reveal my secrets to my friends, John 15, 15. His secrets to his friends. Secrets are revealed when you're close. You tell your secrets to friends, to family members, to people you love, people that you're close to. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I want to reveal my will to you. I want to reveal my heart to you, John 15, 15. Look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. There's something liberating when you know what God has called you to do. Proverbs chapter 29, please. This is a powerful, powerful scripture. And this is extremely important. I just want to talk a little bit about it. Verse number 18. Where there is no vision, my people perish. But he that keepeth the law happy or fulfilled is he where there is no vision stay with me my people what that word perish is a strong word when you have no vision you have no reason to keep going that's what it really means in the Hebrew by perishing there's an emptiness there's, there, there's no kick in your step it's just you have a hard time getting out of bed when you have no vision it's really tough. But when there's no vision, the word vision is an interesting word. You know what it means in the Hebrew? It means an unwound turban. Now, I don't know how it got like that, but that's what it means. Now, I could just hear. 
yeah, you know, I'll, I'll use it as an example. But you know, the Sikh people, they, have the, they take a lot of pride in making sure that the turbans wound very tightly. Is that not true? Yeah. You don't see anybody with an unwound turban. Because an unwound turban means looseness, and it means uh, that you're not disciplined, and laziness, and it's a reflection of your character. This is what it means. When you have no vision, you're like an unwound turban. There's, there's no direction. It's sloppy. You, there, there, there's, there's, your character is weak. If you don't have a vision, the Bible says you perish. And what that means is there's no raison d'etre, like we say in French. There's no purpose in going on in your life when you have no vision, no direction. You know many people are depressed because they have no direction in their lives. They got no vision. They just get up and go back to bed. They have no vision. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. You might say, well, Pastor, what am I supposed to Ask God for a vision. Seek God, Lord, here I am. I'm in your service. Lord, show me what you want me to do. Open my eyes. Give me a specific... He gave Joshua a specific task. What is your task? Well, Pastor, you know, I'm 65 years old, you know? Like, what do you mean? Let me tell you something. One of the greatest men in all of Hebrew history was a man by the name of Caleb and he was 85 years old when he started his ministry. Please don't tell me about your age, how young, how old, how... With God, that means absolutely nothing. What is your task? What has God called you to do? Knowing that will liberate you. Knowing that will give you a raison d'etre, a purpose in life, destiny. That's what God challenged Joshua to do, to go into the promised land. Number three, then God challenges Joshua to respond with poise. What? About, what, what? To respond. Principles that begin with CP. To respond with poise? What? what? Ah, there's two amazing words that we discover in verses 6, 7, and 8. Three times we see these words. Strong and courage. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Notice, verse number 6. Look what the Bible says. Verse number 6. It says, Be strong and of good courage, Joshua. For unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance in the land, and I swear unto their fathers to give them. Verse 7, Only thou be strong and courageous, that thou mayest observe to do all according to the law which Moses commanded thee. Turn not to the right or to the left. Be strong and courageous. Verse number 9, Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. From verses 6 to 9, we see strong and courage mentioned three times. Listen, if God says it once, you better listen. If he says it three times, man, oh man, you... Be strong, be strong, be strong, be courageous, be courageous, be courageous, courageous. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 28, 1? That the righteous are as bold as... And the lion is known for courage and boldness. A Christian should be bold. 
Not arrogant. I don't talk about arrogance, boldness, but bold in their faith, bold in their convictions, bold in their stand for God. Be strong and be courageous, Joshua. He challenges them to respond in a certain way, to have a certain disposition. Be courageous, be daring. He needed it. And I'll tell you, friends, it took a lot of courage and a lot of boldness for Joshua to walk around Jericho 13 times without weapons. Can you imagine? This is a new day. This is the unknown, my friend. Joshua, I don't want you to pick up a spear. Don't take a sword. Just walk around Jericho once a day and for six days, and then on the seventh, they do it seven times. Just walk around. Lord, what do you mean walk around? What kind of battle is this? You can imagine what was entering into the mind of Joshua. Now, can you imagine if God told you that? You know, we read the Old Testament, that's kind of, but just think about how strange that is. This has never happened before. You've got to understand, God did all these miracles, visible miracles before Moses. They had, they, basically, the people of Israel did nothing. They just sat there and observed God's power. Now, God's telling Joshua, I want you to do something first before you see anything. See, this is a new day. This is all unknown stuff, my friends. And there's going to be a time in your life that God's going to call you into the unknown. Where you're not going to touch the bottom because the water's too high now. You're going to have to exercise your faith in a way you've never done it before. And I believe we're living in those days right now. Imagine what went through the mind of Joshua as he's going around this walls of Jericho. It was so thick, the walls, they would have chariot races on top of the walls. These were the Canaanites. These were the strongest people of that day. They had the latest technology in, in, in weaponry. They were vastly outnumbered. You know... You think about how daunting this task was. No wonder God said, be courageous, Joshua. Trust me, Joshua. You see, friends, if you cannot trust God in the unknown, you'll never be able to cross the Jordan. Because this life is filled with the unknown. Why do you think Paul says that we must walk by faith and not by sight? Because life has a lot of unknown. God doesn't always spell it out. God doesn't tell you to do something and he gives you how it's going to happen all the time. He doesn't give you all the details. In fact, in my life, I can't even remember when he gave me all the details when he first asked me to do something. He doesn't always give you the details. He doesn't tell you what color it is. You just got to step out and trust him. When you look at the scriptures, you find that that's exactly how it worked with all these men and women. I can't find anywhere where God spelled it out so clearly to all these people that stood up and started to trust God because if God spelled it out and gave them the answer and told them exactly what's going to happen, it would not take any faith, would it? No weapons, just trust me, Joshua. 
And Joshua obeyed. And he truly demonstrated his courage into the unknown. Remember when Moses sent out the 12 spies to, to scout out the promised land? Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive note. Everybody else, no way! They're too big, they're too strong. It's a, we're like grasshoppers inside, in, in, beside these people. They're monsters. There's no way we're going to win the battle. But Joshua and Caleb said otherwise. All these spies said there's no way, there's too many obstacles, it's impossible, too many giants, too many giants. Oh, my friends, I have a word. Are you ready for this? Look, my friends, I don't care how big the giant is. The giant in front of you is never bigger than the God inside of you. Never! For greater is he that is in you. The giant in front of you is never, never bigger than the God inside of you. And David understood that when he faced Goliath, didn't he? All of Israel were petrified of Goliath because he was too big, too strong. His sword was massive. His sword outweighed David. And so Israel, they were scared. They were Flee from such a task. Goliath was too big. And Israel, who saw a big monster, and in their fear they saw a little God. But David was different. David saw a big God and a little giant. <laughs> you see. And there's going to be a time in your life as you enter into the unknown, you're going to see all kinds of giants. And the question is, how are you going to respond to these giants? They come in all sizes. A giant is a picture of some kind of impediment, an obstacle that all of us will face as we obey God. Don't think that you're not going to face a giant. In fact, when you obey God, I can tell you, friends, all kinds of giants will come against you. You can be sure of that. You're in a battle there's some warfare. And I'll tell you something. If you're not experiencing that kind of battle, you, know, you, I, I, you, you might be walking with God, but I'll tell you something. Maybe the devil's walking with you. Maybe that's why you're not. But I, I, I can assure you, if you're walking with God, there'll be all kinds of giants that will come to dismantle you and disrupt you in the task that God has given you. You can be, be all kinds of discouragement will come against you. Only Joshua and Caleb stood. And all Joshua did because of Israel's disobedience, all Joshua did was go to funerals, one after another, one funeral after another. Two out of a whole generation walked into the promised land. Two out of a whole... Can you somehow get a glimpse of this? Only two out of a whole generation. Because Joshua walked into the unknown with his eyes on God. He didn't allow the circumstances to govern him. The point is, Joshua stood up against the majority, and that took courage. 
That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 6.13. Having done all, let us stand. Look, friends, there's going to be a time that you're going to do all you can and there's nothing more you can do but stand firm in your conviction. Stand firm in what you believe. Stand firm in what God says. You might see everything going to pot. You might see everything unravel before you, but you're going to stand firm in what God has said, in what God's Word says. We often think that the majority is right. No, my friends. There are times that the majority are dead wrong. Point, God challenges us today to take a stand. Jesus said there's two paths in life. There's the broad and the narrow. And he says, and he says, watch this. And he says, few will find it. Few. That's not a majority. Because most of them will be on the broad path. But only few. 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 Why do you think Christianity is so unpopular? True Christianity. Not this, this plastic, God, you know, name it and claim it, this, this hot tub Christianity that we hear on these pre... I'm not talking about this type of Christianity where all you got to do is rub Aladdin's lamp and poof, a genie appears and everything's met. This type of Christianity is not biblical. This type of Christianity might be popular with man, but very unpopular with God. Few will find it. Few are willing to pay the price. Few are willing to sacrifice. Few, 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 few. Who will take a stand like Daniel who stood against Nebuchadnezzar and refused to eat the king's meat? says, give me a chance. He spoke to the eunuch, the leader of the eunuchs. I can't even, but just give me this porridge. I, I, I can't, and you will see how God will bless me and God will bless you. He took a stand. How about the three Hebrew boys that wouldn't want to bow down and worship the idol given to Nebuchadnezzar? Everybody would have been thrown into the furnace if they didn't do that, and they took a stand, but God vindicated them. God, where are the Elijahs today that cried out to the false prophets of Baal? Says, how long will you be between two opinions? If you want to serve God, then serve God. Want to serve Baal? Serve Baal. But don't do both. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. Where is that kind of preaching today? I don't hear much of it. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest. I don't hear it. That doesn't make me or anybody who preaches any better. Absolutely not. But all I'm saying to you is I don't hear much of this today. How long will you be between two opinions? Where has the conviction gone today? See, the problem today is not necessarily sin, my brothers and sisters, but a lack of conviction. People aren't willing to take a stand. That, that, that gives birth to sin. People fear death more than they do God. Christians seem to fear death more than they do God. John Bevere was interviewing Jim Baker. Some of you don't know who Jim Baker is. He was a very well-known evangelist in the 80s. Well, he backslid miserably. And he was being interviewed by this man. And uh, John Bevere asked him, when did you stop loving God? He 
he said to John, I never stopped loving God. He says, what do you mean you never stopped loving? Look what you did. Look at the, what do you mean you never stopped? He had an affair. He, he cheated. He income, I mean, the list went on and on. What do you mean you didn't love, stop loving God? He says, I didn't stop loving God. He says, well, what, what's the problem? He says, I stopped fearing God. Oh, you stopped fearing God, my friend. All things open up. All kinds of sin. Debauchery because you don't fear God. And you'll do whatever you want. See, he felt invincible. And that's a problem sometimes in Christian ministry. When God begins to use you mightily, you feel invincible. Look how God is using me. Well, maybe I can get away with this because God, you know, he honors it. That's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. You don't have to be a pastor or evangelist. That can happen to everyday believers like you and me. Oh, my friends, there's too many today who are not willing to stand. There's no spine. I call it jellyfish Christianity. You ever seen a jellyfish? Got no spine. It's just, you ever see a, uh, how many have seen a raggedy Ann doll? Anybody seen those things? Uh, when I was a kid, I, I didn't have a doll, but, but uh, my sister did. And it was a raggedy Ann doll. And it, it, it just would flop. It had no spine. He said, there's a, you know what? I said, there's a lot of wishbone going on in the church today, but very little backbone. Who will take a stand today in the midst of what's going on in this, in, this, in this debauched state of this woke movement that you see today that's even entered into the church? I, I can't believe what I hear today. I can't believe what I see today. Oh, my friends, we don't want to take a stand. You want to get along with the culture. You want to get along with your friends and your peers. You want to be accepted and many of us don't want to stand out. You don't, you don't want to be ostracized. You, you, don't, you, you want to be accepted by people, by, by all the status quo, and yet you say you trust God and you're a believer. But the Bible says to be friends with this world is to be an enmity against God. Oh, friends, I got to ask you. I got to ask you. Yeah, you trust Him. Do you trust Him when people are talking against you? Do you trust Him when you're being scandalized and you're being mocked? Do you trust Him? When you are vulnerable, do you trust Him when you're in the midst of the storm? Do you trust Him when you're navigating through the unknown and there doesn't seem to be anything tangible that you can hold on to and you just, you just become blind, if you will, and you can't see, but you're told to walk by faith and not by sight? Can you trust Him? In the midst of the unknown, as we enter into the promised land, can you trust His Word? Oh, his word's not popular today, friends. You know what? Preachers don't even preach the word anymore. When I was on vacation during the summer, I visited several churches, my wife and I, and I, look, I'm not going to paint a picture for everything. There are people that preach the word, and there are churches that preach the word. No doubt. But it's not a majority, my Today, God's word is being compromised like never before. Like never before. Who will take a stand for God's principles today? This woke movement has penetrated the church. The Church of England wants to remove masculine pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who aren't in heaven, is too offensive, they say, for those who've been abused by their fathers. So let's get rid of these male pronouns. It's too offensive. Let's use gender-neutral pronouns for the Lord's Prayer. No more he, because the he could be a she. So let's not do that, they say. 
In Germany, there is a service going on in, in Lutheran church where there's no pastor, there's a computer-generated image that looks like a human being, no word of God, no word preaching, just total, it's all simulated. Like a movie, you see, those simulate. It's, it's inconceivable. Barna Institute, which is a Christian organization that takes surveys, so the level of Bible knowledge is at the lowest level it's ever been since they started in the 60s. You go to church today, friends, any church, and you ask Bible questions, you'll be shocked how many people don't know the Word of God. And Logos, my dear brothers and sisters, that applies to you and to me. I'm going to be honest with you. That applies to all of us. So before we point our fingers down the road, that could be happening right here. The word is being compromised, being changed. There are different denominations like progressive Christianity that remove the word of God. Things they don't like, they take away. And it's happening across, across our nation. Different denominations, different churches all over the world. They're changing God's word, changing this, changing that. Listen, my friends, I got a word for you. Look, God is not going to rewrite the Bible for this generation. So we need to stop trying to change scripture when scripture is trying to change you. My God. So much change and the unknown is everywhere. The church has compromised. Change, change, change. Almost every element of society People want to change the name even of sin. You know, they remove sin out of the dictionary. Did you know that? That's right. To make sin adaptable, to accept it, they, they, use, they, they, they use another word for sin. A mistake. They don't, they don't call it sin. They call it just a mistake. I've heard preachers, they don't want to use the word sin because they don't want to be offensive. Let's just say they made a mistake. Instead of changing our ways, my friends, we change the wording to comfort us. Instead of calling it pedophilia, we call it minor attracted people. In other words, people who are attracted to kids. Instead of sexual exploitation, let's call it adult entertainment. So let's go to the drag queen show to teach our children. Why do drag queens fight so hard going into churches, into schools, and libraries. They want to get there. But why not hospitals or senior homes or homeless shelters? Why? Because it's all about kids. No, no. It's about their story. They want to penetrate the children. They want to control them. Because if the devil has our children, he's got the future. Instead of adultery, let's call it swinging an open marriage. Instead of mental illness, let's call it gender dysphoria. Instead of gender mutilation, let's call it gender transitioning. I'm non-binary. I'm neither male nor female. I'm sorry. Last time I checked, it's either a man or a woman. I don't care what you want to call it. You know, I can call myself whatever I want. I can go to these people and I can tell you, uh, 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 I, I am um, uh, 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 a black 
lesbian. And they're going to say, oh, okay, if that's what you choose to... I'm sorry? In the dictionary. Okay. okay, listen, I want you to speak after because right now it's not the time to ask questions. Is that okay? You can ask me after because normally we have a question and answer period. Okay, if you're done, that's fine. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, okay. And so, we see all of these things changing to accommodate our sinful nature. And we see this over and over again. Instead of fornication, let's call it intimacy. Instead of lust, let's call it love. In the gay parades, we, we just call it love. Stop hating. This is all love. Really? You call this love? Parading yourself with basically nude, dancing in front of kids going through sexual uh, uh, motion in front of children on, the, on your gay parade platforms. That's what you're calling it? Instead of recognizing a spiritual battle between good and evil, God and the devil, let's call it a political problem. No, my friends, our problem is not political. Our problem is spiritual. The basis of all things, it's a spiritual problem. Let's call it something else. That's all we want to do. Instead of calling it baby killers, we call them abortionists. But they're killing babies. They're killing babies. It's no longer sin. It's a problem. It's an addiction. It's a disorder. It's an obsession. We don't feel bad about our sins, so let's call it another name. And when we hear the truth preached, what do we do? We call it hate speech. Or you're a hater. You're homophobic because you're against homosexuality. You're a trans... You, you hate trans people. Transphobic, they call it. Because, so when you preach God's word and you preach the truth, you're automatically called homophobic or misogynist. You don't like women. So they use labels under hate when you preach the truth. Well, truth sounds like hate when you hate the truth. Truth sounds like hate when you hate the truth. And so we see all kinds of changes taking place in our society today, friends. All kinds of changes. A wise man said, there's only one rule that you need to follow. Hurt me with the truth, but never comfort me with a lie. Hurt me with the truth, but never comfort me with a lie. And there's a lot of lies out there trying to comfort you, but there's very few that are willing to preach the truth. But it takes more love to preach the truth than to comfort people with lies. Truth is like surgery. It hurts, but it cures. The lies we hear today, they are like painkillers. Painkillers give instant relief. But the side effects, they last forever. 
We have a problem. And so, God gives Joshua certain principles to follow as he enters into the unknown, into the promised land. And I'm going to take a shift and we're going to look at principles that begin with L-Y. I'm coming to a close shortly, so stay with me. God tells Joshua, I want you to do something. Faith without works is... This was a new thing for Joshua, new thing for Israel, because God did everything for them before. Now God is going to go a little deeper. God wants to do something with Israel as they enter into the promised land that didn't take place before. God was trying to teach Israel something. This is very significant. This applies to us today in the year 2023. Notice the first thing God says is found in verse number 8, principles that begin end with L-Y. Look what it says. It says in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayest observe to do all according to the, what is written. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and you will have good success. Verses 6 and 8, number 1, my first principle. Joshua, I want you to meditate upon the Word of God. Meditate. Day and night. Meditate. David said in Psalm 63, Day and night will I meditate upon thee. Meditate is a, a word, it speaks of chewing the cud. You're meditating. You're musing. You're musing God's Word as a cow chews the cud over and over and over again. You're meditating on God's Word day and night. Let me ask you, are you meditating on God's Word? Day and night, you're musing. It's principles. Day, and if you meditate on God's Word, the Bible Bible says you will prosper you'll be in good success you see we don't believe that we want to find good success in our own way we want to find good success by doing what we want to do we want to go ahead and do things and and somehow we'll put God in the equation if, if it feels right or if I feel like doing it but God says it doesn't work that way you've got to put me first seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you meditate meditate on God's word day and Thou satisfies my soul with morrow and fatness when I remember thee upon my bed and I meditate upon thee in the night watches. Psalm 63. Thou satisfies my soul with fatness as I remember thee upon my bed and I meditate upon thee in the night watches. Do you meditate on God's word? And you wonder why you're not successful? God says, if you do that, I will bless you. Are you ready to blame everybody else? Well, you know, it's because he did this, and she did that, and you don't know what happened to me last week, and my boss, uh, and my neighbor. Listen, friends, forget about all these external matters. God says, God, the immutable God says, if you do this, I will bless you, period. So put away your excuse bag. It doesn't work. First thing God says, I want you to meditate continually. That's my first point. Principles that end with L-Y. Number two, then God tells Joshua to read the word obediently. Be diligent. Do all that is written. All, not some. Not what's convenient for you. Like many of us, we pick and choose the scriptures we like. We have our favorite verses, but we don't like this verse because it's not conducive to my lifestyle. doesn't work that way. It's from Genesis to Revelation. That's the Word of God. And the Bible says that if you pick and choose and add and take away, there's a curse that will come upon you. That's what it says in Revelation. 
Don't mess with God's word. Read it obediently. This is not simply for knowledge. The Bible is not given to us for information. The Bible was given to us for transformation. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds need to be renewed. And as we diligently read God's word, our minds are being renewed. Number three, then God says to follow it completely. Verse seven, don't turn to the right or to the left. Take a stand. Don't turn to the right or the left. As you're traveling into the unknown, stand firm. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep going forward. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't turn to the right or the left. Number four. Then you must accept it totally. Verse eight. To believe it. To believe it. To ingest it with all your heart. And so God is saying, Joshua, stand firm. Stand firm. And I will be with you as I was with Moses. You have my word. I promise you. God's promises are yes and amen. God will never mislead you or misguide you. I won't take a vacation, God says. He doesn't take vacations. You don't have to fear despite the odds that are against you, Joshua. Joshua, as I open the Red Sea, I will do the same for you. As I provided manna from heaven, I will do it. I will do it. All the miracles that you saw, what I did through Moses, I will do with you. My friends, listen to me. What God said to Joshua applies to us today. We have God's promises. Promises today in the word of God. He says the same thing to Joshua. He tells us, Jesus said in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you to the very ends of the earth. I won't forsake you, God said. I'm a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that his grace is sufficient for you and for me. You might not know where you're going in the unknown, but God will guide you. God will sustain you. David Livingston, a great missionary to Africa years ago in the turn of the century, had the daunting task of going into Africa, I believe it was in the Congo region, to set up a missionary camp to share the gospel with the people of Africa. And let me tell you, back in that day, about 120 years ago, whatever it was, I mean, there were no paths, there were no roads, you would just have to go through the jungle and you can get lost very easily and there are many times he did not know where he was going. When he went back to England, they asked him a question, the reporters, they said, Mr. Livingston, it must have been an incredible situation for you. Did you know where you were going? He said, no, at times I did not know where I was going, but there's one thing I do know, I know my guide. And friends, when you know your guide, you might not know where you're going, but I guarantee guarantee you you'll get to your destination because if God be with you who can be against you as many as are led by the Spirit of God my God my God notice how Joshua responds verse number 10 the Bible says he immediately did something after he got the instructions from God he immediately commanded Israel to do the very same thing. He said, you must do this. You must obey. 
This is what God has said. You see, if we don't immediately respond, it will end up in reluctance and disobedience. There's no time to waste. Psalm 119 verse 60, I made haste and I did not delay to keep thy commandments. When Abraham was called by God to get out of the Ur of the Chaldees, the Bible says he immediately responded. That's the problem. Many of us do not immediately respond. If God is speaking to you, you might be in a church service, God is speaking to you, and you're being stirred, and God's calling you and telling you something. He wants you to turn from something, but we don't want to respond. If I give an altar call, for instance, how many of you would have come but you were fearful of what your neighbor might think and so you didn't respond when God was speaking to you you delayed the process or if God's called you to do something into the unknown that seems difficult you delay what God has asked you because it doesn't seem doesn't seem right it seems Maybe too difficult, and I don't know, and I gotta prepare for this. Listen, you can prepare all you want, but there's things that you can prepare for to you, but it will mean nothing when you face that situation. Because there's time God wants you to respond right away, and all your preparation will just end up in the flesh. Because preparation, although we need to prepare normally. Sometimes when you prepare all the time, that's just an expression of fear because you don't trust what God's about to do. So let me figure this out. Let me prepare for this. Let me just analyze this. And so, so when this comes to me, I'll know exactly what to do. Maybe God is telling you, stop doing what you normally do. That's the problem. Stop delaying the process. Joshua did it right away. Because Israel knew a lot about delays. They were professional procrastinators. If you remember when the 12 spies went out in the land, they came back with bad news. They said they're too big, they're too strong. And as a result of their disobedience, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years they, because of their procrastination to act on God's word. It should have taken 11 days, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 1. 40 years! They kept taking laps around Mount Sinai because of their disobedience, their reluctance to believe, their procrastination to step out and trust God. They suffered the consequences. No, my friends, there's times you have to respond right away, right away. You see, procrastination only makes it harder to respond. We must do it now, right away. If you delay the hard things, it only gets harder. It's only your fear that's causing you to delay, but it gets more difficult to do it if you delay. There are times God wants you to wait. Don't get me wrong. There are times God says, be still, don't move. Don't get me wrong. But there are times God says the very opposite. And when he's telling you the opposite, friends, you and I need to respond right away because you might not have another opportunity. My God. Notice the pattern that Joshua gives First God commanded to Joshua, verse 9. Then Joshua commands his officers, verse 10. And then the officers command the people, verse 11. This is the biblical protocol of appointing. Leader speaks to the, the priest. The priests speak to the people. God always uses leadership to fulfill his word. 
And now the mandate is given. All the people know exactly what to do. But notice verse 11. This is something very interesting. Talk about the unknown. He says, Now pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare your food, your victuals, for with three days you will pass over this Jordan to go and to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. What? Go gather your food? What? We never did this before. Tells the people, You've got to gather up this three day journey. This is a brand new thing. Because now the manna will cease. In Joshua chapter 5 verse 12, we discover that this heavenly delivery system had stopped. No more manna came from heaven. It stopped. Manna was prepared for them in the desert all this time. But now this heavenly welfare system, if you will, had ceased. It's a new day. The unknown is before you. You need now to respond by faith. And this propels us into the New Testament because that principle applies to us in the church. Faith. Faith. Because we live in the unknown and it's going to take faith for you to navigate through the waters. Because there are going to be things that will not make sense in your life. There will be things that will not add up because God's ways are not our ways. And you're going to have to exercise faith like Joshua did if you're going to cross the Jordan. Faith to believe. That's what happened to Paul in Acts 16. Paul didn't know where to preach. And he decided to, okay, I'm just going to step out. I know I'm called. I don't know where to go. There are times that God has called you, but you don't know where to go. Stop blaming anybody. God will open that door. Paul didn't know where to go in Acts 16, so he goes to Messiah. He goes to Bethania. The Lord spoke to him. It's not, it's not where you're supposed to go, Paul. And finally, Paul gets a vision to Massa. If you're called, God will give you a vision. God will show you. Stop trying to find it from people. God will show you. And God gave him a vision of Macedonia, and he ended up going to Macedonia. Macedonia. You'll need faith. God will show you. Imagine how Elijah felt. God told Elijah, Elijah, I'm going to take care of you. I know you're, you're, you're the enemy of Jezebel. They want to kill you, but I'm going to take care of you. There's a famine in the land. God brings them to the book of Cherith or Shabar. You figure, oh, thank God. He sends ravens to feed Elijah. Oh, things are going great. All of a sudden, the brook dries up. Now, wait a minute, God. You said you'd take care of me. The brook dries up, and the ravens cease to bring food. That's strange. Why would God do that? Not only was it strange with the brook drying up, but the ravens, ravens were unclean animals. One strange event after another, and then he tells them, okay, I want you to go to Zarah, Zarephath, 50 miles of desert. To cross Zarephath. Oh, Lord. It's not easy. Don't ever think that doing God's will is ever easy. It's not. There's no shortcuts with God, my friend. And then he tells Elijah, I want you to ask this widow woman who's not Jewish, not Hebrew, she's a Gentile, I want you to ask her for food. What? God, you're going to ask me to humiliate myself and ask this Gentile widow for food? That's right. Because I'm working in you, Elijah. I'm breaking you before I bless you. 
got to work in you. But it took all kinds of faith for Elijah to respond the way he did as he traveled through the unknown, as he traveled through the wilderness. You see, these principles apply to us today. They really do. To mature us, to strengthen us, I'm going to stop here. I wanted to continue, but my time is come. What time is it? What time is it? 8.30? Do I have five more minutes? I have all night? <laughs> let, let me, okay, give, give me five more minutes. You see, all these trials and traveling through the unknown where God doesn't give you specific details. He's doing what he did with Israel. He's telling them, I want you to gather food now. I want you to be responsible. Because you're depending on me, that's a good thing, but I want you to grow up. I want you to start maturing. I want you to start developing in a different way. Now let me take this in a natural way. There are too many people that are too codependent on other people. If you're codependent on another person, you can't grow. Everything is based on that person. There are some people that are codependent on pastors. That's a bad thing too. God wants to mature you. And he tells them, I want you to go gather your food. I've been giving it to you all the time, but you're staying at one place spiritually. You've got to grow. And God will cause you to grow as you get involved and you step out of your comfort zone. And all these things and all these examples that men of God and women of God have gone through in the Old Testament was for one purpose, so they can mature and grow. That's what God is concerned about. He's not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. He's not concerned about blessing you everywhere. He wants you to grow and to be strong and to be mature. He's concerned about your character. And character is developed in the furnace. It's never developed when God is sending the manna your way every moment. You never grow on the mountaintops. There's not much shrubs or growth up there. There's, it's only cold, actually, and the air is thin. You only grow in the valleys where it's lush and green. God wanted the people of Israel to mature. They were very immature. They were complainers and murmurers. They constantly murmured after Moses constantly. And what we said about murmuring, what did we say about complaining? It's the devil's what? It's the devil's worship. Murmuring and complaining, murmuring about Moses. They wanted to get rid of Moses. And then when he died, they, they, they mourned him for 30 days. Go figure. They didn't appreciate him while he was alive, but when he died, he was the greatest of all. Isn't that how we are sometimes? You ever go to a funeral? You hear some of the testimonies, like these people were like the greatest people on the face of the earth, but you never hear them say that when they were alive. Why? Why do we seem to appreciate people when they're gone? Why? Why can't we appreciate them now and tell them, Tell them now how much you love them. Why do you wait till they die? 
And so God promised them, I'll be with them as you go into the promised land. But the truth is this. Are you ready for this? The truth is, my friends, they are to enter into the promised land, but God had already given it to them. God had already given it to them. It's like a check. You ever get a check? You got a check. It's worth something, but unless you go to the bank and cash it, it's just a piece of paper. Are you all with me? They had this check. They had the title deed, but they had to possess it. You have to learn how to possess your possessions. And you need to know who you are in Christ to be able to do that. You'd be surprised how many people don't know who they are in Christ. They have no idea. Do you know how incredible you are in the eyes of God? I talked about that on Sunday, didn't I? Do we realize who we are in Christ? Just think about who you are, what God calls you, his joint heir, his ambassador, royal priesthood. You're seated with him in heavenly places. You've got royal blood flowing through your veins. You are, you are the apple of his eye. But many of us don't live that way. We live, we live beneath our blessings. Because it's all in your mind. The battle's in your mind. And we're so feeling-oriented. We're very emotional, most of us. We're so emotional. So if we don't feel good, we put ourselves down. If things don't go right, we get emotional. and get all into the flesh. And we lose sight of who we really are. We lose sight of what's really going on. We stop walking by faith and we start walking by sight because we allow our emotions to govern us. And you know, we got to stop worshiping our emotions. We got to stop bowing down to our emotions and begin to bow down to what God says. What does God say you are? You are special. Stop living beneath your blessings. Begin to possess your possessions. Possess your possessions. You see, it's one thing to have a title deed, but it's another thing to possess it. Josh, can you give me Ephesians 1.3 and 2 Peter 1.3? It's going to give you two scriptures. I want, there's so many, I don't even know where to begin. I'm just going to give you just a couple just so we can soak it in. All kinds of scriptures tonight. Ephesians 1.3, you have it, Josh? Okay, let me read it. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according that He has chosen us before the foundation of the earth to be holy without blame, predestined. We have blessings that are beyond comprehension even before we were born, before your mother met your father. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's given us all things that pertain unto God. He's already equipped us. We just have to walk in it. We have to believe it. We have to ingest it. We have to walk by faith. And don't allow the externals to rob us from that truth. Think about it, my friends. We are to walk worthy of our calling, Paul says in Thessalonians. Walk worthy of our calling. I'm going to stop there.
Take a stand, brothers and sisters. Don't let sin come into your life. People who don't take a stand will compromise. I want to repeat that again. If you don't take a stand for God and His Word, then you will fall for anything. John F. Kennedy said that. He wasn't a believer, but he said the truth. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And that's the world in which we live in. We are falling for anything, and we're believing all these things, and it's in the church. It's amazing what people believe. It's absolutely amazing. You know why they believe all these heresies? Because they don't know the Word of God. Take a stand. Walk worthy of your calling. Be careful who you hang around with. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful. Ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the waters that get in them. Don't let what's happening around you get in you. Take a stand when you face the unknown, when you face the Amalekites and the Jebusites. could have called this series Taking a Stand. I want every head bowed, please, for a moment. I'm going to invite Josh to come. If you get a chance, take a few moments. I'm going to finish this text next week. I didn't finish tonight. It's okay. I'll finish next week. But I just want you to look within your own hearts for just a moment. I want you to look deep within because we're living in this world that it's so easy to contaminate yourselves and to pollute yourselves. It's so easy. 